Good morning, Moneyliners community. On this Sunday, December 4th, we are going to jump straight into our college football playoff picture as the committee will be announcing the final four here in just a couple of hours. Let's start out with the Friday night USC-Utah Pac-12 championship. Let me just say this. In the first quarter, Caleb Williams looked just like Patrick Mahomes. He was the college version of Patrick Mahomes. A friend of mine said to me Friday night, it looked like that, that Caleb Williams looks like Patrick Mahomes and Kyler Murray had a baby. That is a great description of Caleb Williams. And let me just, before I start talking about the game, Caleb Williams is the Heisman Trophy winner. You can lock that up. He will be in New York City to be handed that trophy. He is the best quarterback in college football and the most um, the most exciting player that I've seen in a very long time at the college level. In the first quarter, he dazzled. He ran. He threw. Utah looked completely out of sorts and unprepared for the game action on Friday night for the Pac-12 championship, and they had no idea who this Caleb Williams was. They were completely out of position, which was very uncharacteristic of a Kyle coach team. You know, I love his uh, black hooded sweatshirt and his black, black ball cap representing the Utah Utes and the coach of the sideline for so many years. He was a little dazed and confused after that fast first quarter, uh, and it looked like we were on our way to a complete blowout as USC was up 17-3. to But just as great coaches do, and as I said a couple of weeks ago that he is what I believe the number two best coach in all of college football, right up there with Pat Fitzgerald at Northwestern, he made adjustments and he got things figured out. Because in quarters two through four, Caleb Williams was under siege by the Utah Utes defense. He was beaten, bruised, battered, there was nothing happening from that point forward for the USC offense. And on the flip side, their USC defense lost the ability to tackle at all. I have never seen more missed and broken tackles from both the passing game and running game from a defensive standpoint. Uh, USC did not look like a top 10 team in quarters two through four. And the offensive line of USC owes Caleb an apology because he had to literally crawl off the field at the end of the game. But I do give Caleb credit. He was a warrior. He battled through hit after hit, sack after sack. And he was not leaving that field until the very last minute of the game, even though he could barely walk. Congratulations, Coach Kyle, to the Utah Utes for your back-to-back Pac-12 championship. Great job on your adjustments. And that was an exact example of why you were one of the best coaches in college football. Moving on to the K-State TCU game. Good old Sonny Dykes. Uh, You know, Sonny gets fired up during the games. And uh, I watched him most of the game complaining to the refs after every call. And at some point, I think I said, just stop whining and play football. Every single play or review or whatever was going on that he didn't like, he was moaning and groaning and yapping at the officials. Uh, Kansas State was in control of that game for the most part until (laughs) Dugan got it going. You know, I I don't know who I like better watching uh, between Caleb Williams and and Dugan. I mean, um, I remember telling my son watching Dugan take control in the fourth quarter and bring TCU back with his legs primarily. 
I told him, I said, boy, if you ever grow up to play at an elite level, you need to copy your game after Dugan because he was so committed to bringing his team back into that game and, and literally ran until he couldn't breathe anymore. Now, with that being said, when TCU got the game tied with the two-point conversion again by Dugan, and they got the ball first in overtime, they drove down the field, they got it to literally the two-inch line. Now, that play was reviewed, as it should have been. Sonny Dyke should not have had to call a timeout uh, to get that review, but he did. That ball was on the two-inch line. Somehow the referees put it back to almost the one-yard line. So that was an issue that that was baffling to me. I mean, the, the review the, the the review of the play clearly showed that his forearm was down and the nose of the ball was within two or three inches of the goal line. So as they ran play one and play two to get to that point, it was now third down. On third down from the six-inch line, you handed the ball off two yards deep to your running back who got stuffed at the goal line. That was on third down, called by Sonny Dyke's offensive coordinator. You're the head coach. You are inches away from locking up a number three seed to the college playoffs for TCU in your first year as head coach. And on third down, you hand the ball back two yards and your running back gets stuffed. Fool me once, shame on you. Fool me once, fool me twice, shame on me. So on fourth down, instead of Sonny Dyke saying, we are handing the ball to our quarterback and he is going to plow through the front of this line into the end zone, he handed it off again. Two yards deep, running back stuffed, closed it down on the fourth down, and TCU comes away in their first possession overtime with no points. That's a problem. And that indicated to me that Sonny Dykes himself, former coach of the SMU Mustangs, was not prepared to be a primetime competitor into the college football playoffs. You've got to ride the horse that got you there. Dugan is by far your best player. He also will be in New York City with Caleb Williams, without a doubt. And he, by sheer will and determination, got you to that point. And two times you hand the ball back two yards to your running back? Come on, man. That's a rookie Bush League call by Sonny Dykes. And, and it's shameful because Dugan put everything on the field that he possibly could have to get TCU that victory. Congratulations to Kansas State for winning the, the Big 12 championship. It played a great, solid game all the way around. Uh, I did like the fact that head coach said TCU belongs in the playoffs. We'll talk about that in a second, but that was a nice tip of the cap to how hard TCU and Dugan fought uh, to the end of that game. Let's move on to Georgia and LSU. A complete annihilation of the LSU Tigers by the best team in the country, by far, the Georgia Bulldogs. 50. They dropped 50 points on the LSU Tigers. I did not look it up, but it has to have been a long time before the LSU Tigers had 50 dropped on them. Bennett, the fourth, 
is just a he's just a solid quarterback that is a great leader of his football team. Un he was an unrecruited walk-on and he is now on poised to win back-to-back championships. Are you kidding me? No scholarships, walked on the Georgia football team and is literally on the cusp of winning back-to-back championships. Georgia is a complete team on both sides of the ball. Period. You can put Michigan, Ohio State, TCU, USC, Bama, any of them on the field against Michigan right now, and they will have to play the absolute flawless game to have a chance to beat Georgia. I don't think I remember a year where the number one team had such a huge gap to the number two team and below. So Georgia completely annihilated Brian Kelly and the LSU Tigers in the SEC championship, leaving no doubt who the best team in the country was. Let's talk about LSU for a second and Brian Kelly. You know, after Brian Kelly beat Alabama, he said the words, our team has grown up, and then proceeded to lose to a below 500 club, Texas A&M, and then proceeded after that to get blown out in the SEC championship. Brian, you've got a long way to go, pal, in LSU. You're not ready to compete with the best teams in the SEC. Let's talk a little bit about Alabama and Nick Saban's lobbying to get himself into the Final Four. LSU did not help his cause getting blown out, giving up 50 points on defense. LSU beat Alabama. So over the last two weeks, the Alabama loss to LSU now looks even worse they got beat by 17 by AM and then got beat by 20 to Georgia. Nick, you've been in the college football playoffs enough, and it looks really cheap for you to get on national TV at halftime of a conference championship game and lobby for your team to get into college football playoffs because we only had two losses at the last seconds of the game. It doesn't matter. You are a two-loss team. And the two teams you lost to, one of them is awful. You don't deserve a spot. Nobody in their right mind is going to put you above Ohio State with one loss to the clearly the second-best team in the country, in Michigan. And nobody's going to put you in the playoffs above TCU, also with one loss, to the number 10 team in the country that they had already beaten and then barely got beat by in overtime. Sit at home, get yourself a different bowl, and move on. Enough of this SEC nonsense. And now let's move to the last game of the night, the Michigan Wolverines and the Purdue Boilermakers. First of all, such a tragic story about Quarterback O'Connell of Purdue losing his older brother just a couple of weeks ago, right after Thanksgiving. Condolences to his family. Uh, There weren't many details in that tragedy, uh, and typically it's just left alone at that point. So uh, kudos to that kid for coming out and slinging it around as best he could against a a far superior team in Michigan and and hanging in there um, until that last quarter. 
when Michigan typically puts the gas pedal down. Um, Michigan is a complete team. You know, when they when they beat Ohio State in Columbus, I thought, you know, that just the wheels came off for Ohio State. Is Michigan really that good? It's just hard to see them go from just a few years ago being a eh kind of team to being as good as they really are right now. It's an amazing job in Ann Arbor by Jim Harbaugh uh, to get this team right behind Georgia as the two best teams in the country. I do believe there are a couple chinks in the armor at Michigan, though. Uh, the, the, the pass defense is not what it needs to be. And that's concerning when you're going to be possibly going up against Dugan or Bennett or Stroud for a second time. Uh, you better figure that out because if Stroud gets on a roll, he's going to fling it all over the field on you, and it could be lights out. So I, I hope that Ohio State, who I believe will potentially match up against Michigan if they leap TCU, uh, they better open up the offense and put five receivers out and throw it all over the field like O'Connell did against Michigan last night in the Big Ten Championship. So let's now set the stage for the committee. I do think that it's real simple for them. And it's just going to come down to a matter of who they want to see matched up in the semifinals. Georgia and Michigan are in one and two, period. They are now the only two undefeated teams in college football. It makes that simple. Now the question becomes, is Ohio State three or is TCU three? And then the other one, of course, would be number four. I'm going to tell you what I think the committee should do. I think that they should keep the Big Ten matchup of Ohio State and Michigan in a semifinal because I think it would be a disaster if by chance Ohio State would upset Georgia and uh, Michigan would then beat TCU, that Ohio State and Michigan would be in the championship game. That's not a good look to have the same conference in the title game. So I think what the committee's going to do is prevent that from happening and make the Ohio State-Michigan rematch in the number two, number three seed and then let TCU try to shock the world and go up against Georgia as number one. So I predict in a couple of hours we will see Georgia one, Michigan two, Ohio State three, and TCU four. Now the reason that I think Ohio State leaps to three over TCU is that matchup point, and also I think it's warranted. Again, Ohio State lost to the clear second best team in the country in Michigan, and they have the best win over the number eight team, Penn State, while TCU lost to Kansas State at number 10 and plays in an inferior conference in the Big 12. Nobody can tell me that the 12, Big 12 has the same level of competition and credibility right now as the Big 10. So I think that's the I think those are the four best teams, and I think those will be the four seedings here in a couple of hours. And then I'm going to be very, very excited for the Buckeyes to get an opportunity to get revenge on Michigan in a college semifinal matchup. And then I'm going to be all in for the TCU Horn Frogs and Dugan against Goliath. That would be an awesome matchup as well. Now let's assume that those are the four teams. 
I'm going to tell you how this is going to play out and give you the Moneyliners prediction, assuming that these are the four final teams in that order. First of all, I think TCU has had a great season. And I love their quarterback. And I think they're going to fight against Georgia and give them hell. But Georgia is just a superior team with five-star, four-star recruits across the field on both sides. And they're going to wear TCU down and take them out. I think Georgia may potentially score 35 to 38 points against TCU. And TCU would come in around the 17, maybe 21 range if Dugan can get some uh, some good passes in the game. But Georgia would advance to the championship. On the other side of the bracket, you would have Ohio State going up against Michigan, seeking revenge for the absolute beatdown that they got in Columbus. And that's a highly motivating factor. When you go back to the 2014 Ohio State National Championship run, they backed in to that playoff spot, just like they are right now. Everyone said they should not be in there, that they should not be the number four team because someone else lost badly in their conference championship game. Now, if you remember, Ohio State went out and dropped 59 points in their conference championship game. And that's what got them in the fourth spot. Ohio State faced a formidable Oregon team in the semifinal, coached by Chip Kelly. Behind Cardell Jones, who was the backup quarterback, and Ohio State beat Oregon to advance to the national championship game against the mighty Alabama. Ohio State was a two-touchdown underdog in the national championship game. Again, people saying they shouldn't be there. They have no chance against Nick Saban and the Alabama Crimson Tide. Cardell Jones went bananas in the championship game. And the Ohio State Buckeyes upset as a two-touchdown underdog, the Bama Crimson Tide, and became national champions. You heard it here on Moneyliners today that that is exactly what is going to happen again. The Ohio State Buckeyes are going to get revenge against the Michigan Wolverines in the semifinal matchup. They will advance to the championship game against the mighty SEC King in Georgia as a close-to-two-touchdown underdog again. And they are going to beat Sam Bennett, the fourth, and the Georgia Bulldogs to bring the national championship back to Columbus. You heard that here first on Moneyliners. Good luck, Buckeyes, and let's see if you can get it done again eight years later. I'll finish off today's segment with the news that Deion Sanders is the new head coach in Boulder, Colorado. Let me say that again. Dion Primetime Sanders is heading to Boulder. Now, if you just think about that matchup on paper, you couldn't have a worse matchup than Dion in Boulder, Colorado. Dion Sanders is, is one of the most uh, flashy personalities 
in sports history. He has an ego the size of the Atlantic Ocean. He's flashy. He's cocky. He's got a mouth that doesn't stop. And he's heading to Boulder? I remember when my wife and I moved to Boulder in 2008. Well, we moved to Denver. And we decided to take in the college football season opener at the University of Colorado. They were matched up against in-state rival Colorado State. We thought, what a great, great way to get up to Boulder, check out the town, take in this college football game. It was a beautiful fall day. Checked in at our hotel, got our game faces on. And we thought we were way behind the bell curve, getting down to the stadium at about an hour and a half before kickoff. As we got down to the stadium, there was tumbleweed blowing around the stadium and on the campus. And we thought, we must have the game day wrong. Or we must have thought it was here, and it's actually up in Greeley, at Colorado State in Fort Collins. We walked over to the stadium ticket office and we asked, is, is there a football game today? She said, yes. Kickoff's in about an hour and a half. I looked around and I said, well, where is everybody? And she said, well, they'll start showing up here soon before kickoff. Now, when you grow up in the Midwest and you are a Buckeye fan, you experience tailgating up to a week before the game. People take off an entire week and drive their RV to the parking lot at the shoe and literally party for four or five days straight before kickoff. But in Boulder, they arrive an hour before, throw their Frisbee in the parking lot, and then walk into the stadium. And you just brought Deion Sanders to that town? That's a bad matchup. You know, it shows a lot of desperation by the Colorado Buffaloes to make this controversial hire from the Southeastern Conference. You see, the Pac-12 is not the SWAC, and USC is not Bethune-Cookman. Dion's not going to be able to win at Colorado. It's a bad matchup, but in addition, Dion doesn't have the resources that he's going to need to compete against other Pac-12 teams on a national stage. The administration and the university in the University of Colorado isn't committed to winning football. It is a coaching carousel. It is purgatory. Now I understand why Dion took the job. He took the job because it's a major conference. It's a very esteemed public university in a great state. And he told his team last night as he talked to his team before it was publicly announced. And he told them that he has an obligation to represent and step out for the African-American community and their coaches. I commend him for that. I agree with him. Somebody has to do it. Somebody has to say, let me, he is never missing, he's not missing words ever when he gets in front of a camera. Let me get out into a major conference and represent the African-American coaching community 
and try to show that we are good coaches and need more jobs. Now, I truly believe that Dion means that. But I just think it's a bad matchup. I think it's a bad situation for him to be successful. And I think it's going to be another bad situation for the University of Colorado. Now, when I think about the best matchup that the University of Colorado could have gotten as a head coach, I would have waited as long as I possibly had to have to hire the former running back and offensive coordinator of Kansas City Chiefs, Eric Bieniemy, Because Eric Bieniemy's name is synonymous with the University of Colorado. And he has been the offensive coordinator for Patrick Mahomes under Andy Reid for the last several years, winning a Super Bowl. I would have put my coaching search on hold and gone after him. If not Eric Bieniemy, what about David Shaw that just left Stanford? David Shaw created great success at Stanford. You don't really match up the word football with Stanford, but David Shaw coached Andrew Luck to a Heisman to a number one draft pick. How about Brian Flores, former coach of the Dolphins, now special coordinator for the Pittsburgh Steelers? Tough as nails. He'd have been a great option. Now, if you notice, those are all three African-American coaches, which I clearly support based upon my conversations earlier this week about Cadillac Williams and Hugh Freeze, which I'm not done with yet. But Dion, I think you're going to see a crash and burn in Boulder, maybe worse than Ryan Leaf's NFL career. And I'm going to finish with the reason Dion went to Boulder and circle back to the Auburn University Tigers. Now, Auburn and Dion would have been a good match. Auburn has great resources, great facilities, great a great amount of money from the booster boosters and the foundation to pay Dion and get his assistant coaches to the level he would need to compete in the SEC. I think Auburn should have kept Cadillac Williams and made him head coach. But instead, to Dion's point of why he took the Colorado job, Auburn chose Hugh Freeze from Liberty University former SEC coach of Ole Miss. Now, if you remember the Hugh Freeze controversy in 2017, Hugh Freeze, as head coach of Ole Miss, was hiring escorts and having rendezvous with escorts as the head coach during football games, you know, as he was traveling on the road with his team. When that scandal broke out, his former high school, where he was the coach down in Memphis, a Christian academy for years, there were female students that came out and talked about many different times of inappropriate behavior with Hugh Freeze, the then head coach of the high school football team, including one young lady who was asked to come into his office and remove her T-shirt in front of him because it had the Grateful Dead on it. Now, these things happened with Hugh Freeze. 
which is why he lost the job at Ole Miss and was somewhat banished to Liberty University. But because he had SEC experience at Ole Miss, Auburn wanted Hugh Freeze. So just like Dion and Boulder, Hugh Freeze is going to be a major crash and burn in Auburn. And Auburn, you swung and missed. Cadillac Williams? Or maybe you should have gone after Dion Primetime Sanders. There is a huge gap in college football for African-American coaches. I wish Deion Sanders the best of luck in Boulder, and I actually hope he's very successful. But I have my doubts. This is Chris Nickel on Sunday morning, December 4th. We have some great NFL action today. Looking forward to that Kansas City Chiefs-Cincinnati Bengals matchup this afternoon in the Natty. And that Miami Dolphins-San Francisco 49ers clash, the battle between offense of the AFC and defense of the NFC. We've got them both picked on our website, moneyliners.com. Take a look. And remember, if you become part of the Moneyliners community, if we can't win picks, you get your money back. Have a great day.